Chapter One of Bill the Conqueror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Pelster. Bill the Conqueror by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter One A Marriage Has Been Arranged with a sudden sharp snort which violent though it was expressed only feebly the disgust and indignation seething within him sir george pike laid down the current number of society spice and took up the desk telephone give me the spice office he said curtly there was a brief interval roderick he has not yet returned from lunch sir george said an obsequious voice ah is that you pillbeam sir george's expression softened pillbeam was one of his favorites a youth with a future a man he had his eye on kindly tell mr roderick when he comes in that i wish to see him very good sir george the founder and proprietor of the mammoth publishing company that vast concern which supplies half the more fat-headed half of england with its reading matter hung up the receiver and after a few moments of frowning thought seized a pencil and began to write the occupation affected in his appearance a striking change for the better his brow grew smooth his eyes ceased to glitter something resembling a smile relaxed the drawn tensity of his lips he bent over his pad absorbed one of the things that makes the lot of a reader of a story such as this so enjoyable is the fact that in addition to being uplifted entertained and instructed he possesses all the advantages of a disembodied spirit he can go anywhere and see everything any ordinary man for instance who wished to enter the presence of sir george pike would be obliged to go down fleet street turn to the right along tilbury street till he came to tilbury house interview a discouraging official in the vestibule fill up a form stating name and business and hand this to a small boy in buttons and in the end after waiting for anything from ten to forty minutes he would probably get no further than a brief word with one of sir george's secretaries for the man behind the mammoth does not see every one his time is valuable his sense of his own importance keen and he is hedged about by a crowd of willing helpers whose chief duty it is to ensure the respecting by casual callers of that motto of all great men keep out this means you an army with banners would be halted on the threshold and not even cabinet ministers may crash the gate the reader however being both noiseless and invisible can walk right up to the office on the fourth floor and go in without knocking he will find sir george still writing the discovery of a man in sir george pike's position engaged in such an occupation is surely stirring enough to thrill the most blasé for who can say what literary task it is that occupies him it may be anything from a snappy column article for pike's weekly on should engaged couples kiss to an editorial for the daily record 
a page of helpful thoughts for the sabbath hour or even a bedtime story for tiny tots but as a matter of fact it is none of these things what sir george is so busily jotting down on that large pad is a list of names he has already written ilfracombe foreshore wainscoat barraclue wensleydale creeby woodshot marlinghue and now as we look he adds to the collection the word mitchell heaver this one seems to please him particularly for he places against it a couple of crosses then inspiration apparently leaving him for the moment he pushes back his chair and rising begins to pace the floor it is the custom nowadays to describe all successful men who are stumpy and about twenty pounds overweight as napoleonic but hackneyed though the adjective is it must be admitted that there was indeed something suggestive of napoleon in the part of sir george pike as he strode up and down his office his generously filled waistcoat and the habit he dropped into in moments of meditation of thrusting the fingers of his right hand in between its first and second buttons gave at any rate a superficial resemblance to the great corsican and this resemblance was accentuated by the gravity of his plump determined face he looked like a man fond of having his own way nor in the last twenty years of his life had he often failed to get it the desk telephone emitted a discreet buzzing sound as if it shrank from raising its voice in the presence of such a man mrs hammond to see you sir george send her in send her in good heavens francie exclaimed the proprietor of the mammoth publishing company as the door opened i've been phoning your house half the morning trying to get hold of you how fortunate that i happened to look in said mrs hammond settling herself in a chair what is it francis hammond nay pike was a feminine replica of her eminent brother she lacked his second chin but had the same bright and compelling eyes the same over-jutting brows which lent those eyes such keenness and the same high colouring and breadth of forehead sir george was conscious once again as he looked at her of that little thrill of admiration which she always awoke in him what did you want to see me about asked mrs hammond sir george drew a deep breath he had tremendous news to impart and an instinct for drama urged him not to spoil this moment by blurting the secret out too abruptly but ecstasy was too strong for his sense of the dramatic francie old girl he cried what do you think they've offered me a peerage it was not easy to shake francis hammond's poise but these words accomplished that miracle for a full ten seconds she sat there staring open-mouthed while sir george blushing and on the very verge of giggles pulled self-consciously at his scarlet knitted wool waistcoat the famous pike waistcoat which was one of the sights of london a peerage letters over there on that desk came this morning georgie mrs hammond scrambled out of her chair and kissed her brother fondly there were tears in her commanding eyes i thought it would please you 
i am proud of you georgie dear what a culmination for your splendid career and who helped me build that career hey i have always done what i could said mrs hammond modestly but of course it was you sir george thumped the desk and happening to strike the sharp edge of a wire paper basket wished that he had expressed his emotions a little less muscularly he sucked his hand for a moment before speaking you have been the making of the business he said vehemently when the agony had somewhat abated i couldn't have got anywhere without you who suggested the how many pins does the prime minister's hat hold competition in pike's weekly when it was touch and go if it could turn a corner from that moment pike's weekly never looked back and on pike's my whole present fortune is founded the fact is from the very start we have worked as a team if i had the ginger you had the judgment i don't suppose there's a person in the world whose judgment i respect as highly as i do yours francie mrs hammond beamed well georgie i'm sure i'm only too glad if my efforts to play Algeria have been successful play what said sir george looking a trifle blank Algeria was a goddess who helped and inspired the roman king numa pompilius at least so sinclair tells me she referred to mr sinclair hammond the well-known archaeologist who enjoyed the additional distinction of being her husband now there's a fellow said sir george who if he had a little drive and initiative would go far plenty of brains mrs hammond forbore to discuss her husband she had grown used to his dreamy lack of ambition his undynamic acceptance of his niche in the world there had been a time when she had chafed at these things but recently she had come to accept it as her cross in this life that she never seemed to marry any one with ginger and pep her first husband acquired in the days before prosperity had dawned on the family had been a mr herbert shale courteous and popular assistant in the hose and underwear department of harrod's stores and him not even her powerful driving force had been able to shove higher up the social ladder than the rank of shop walker whatever his shortcomings sinclair was better than herbert what title did you think of adopting georgie she asked changing the subject sir george whose massive mind never wholly relaxed even in its social moments was speaking into the dictaphone editor pike's weekly attention he was saying article next week on famous women who have inspired famous men you know Algeria and so forth he turned away apologetically i beg your pardon i said have you thought of a title yet just jotted down a few suggestions that's all he picked up the pad how do you like lord barraclue or winsleydale or marlinghue the one that pleased me most was mitchell heaver there's a swing about mitchell heaver mrs hammond shook her head too florid they're all too florid well you know a title ought to have a bit of a ring look at some of the ones there are already beaver brook strathaden 
leave her home plenty of zip to them i know but and mark you urged sir george it's deuced hard to pick something good that hasn't already been taken the fellows who got in first skimmed the cream i know but none of these you have mentioned sound just right to me there's nothing actually wrong with them and a man with your personality could carry them off but they are all just the least bit ornate you must not forget that eventually roderick will have to succeed to whatever title you choose we must not select anything which would seem ridiculous in connection with roderick his actual name is bad enough as it is roderick mrs hammond winced this was a painful subject with her how often i pleaded with poor lucy to call him thomas the frown which had been so long absent from sir george's happy face returned blacker than ever he had the air of one into whose cup of joy an unfriendly hand has dropped a dead mouse i'd forgotten all about roderick he said moodily there was a pause the future lord mitchelheaver or possibly wensleydale or marlinghue drummed irritably on the desk with his fingertips how the deuce i came to have a son like that he complained as many a stout father had done before him and many would do when he was dead and gone beats me he takes after poor lucy said mrs hammond she was just the same timid feeble creature sir george nodded the mention of his long-departed wife stirred no sentimental chord in him the days when he was plain george pike humble clerk in a solicitor's office and used to thrill at the soft voice of lucy maynard as she took the order for his frugal lunch at the holborn viaduct cabin had long since faded from his memory that quite unsatisfactory woman had now definitely become poor lucy a thing to be spoken of in much the same tone as would be accorded to measles or any other mild ailment which had attacked a great man in his infancy reminds me said sir george reaching for the telephone that i want to have a word with roderick i'll do it now he said unconsciously quoting the motto which by his instructions had been placed in a wooden frame on every editorial desk in the building i rang up the spice office just before you came but he was still out at lunch wait one moment georgie there is something i want to speak to you about before you send for roderick sir george always docile when it was she who commanded put down the telephone what has he been doing that you want to see him sir george snorted huh, i'll tell you the agony of a disappointed father rang in his voice i gave that boy his head far too much while he was up at oxford i let him have a large allowance and what did he do with it published a book he had written on the prose of walter pater at his own expense in limp purple leather and on top of that he had the effrontery to suggest that the mammoth should take over the poetry quarterly a beastly thing that doesn't sell a dozen copies a year and let him run it as editor i know all that 
said mrs hammond a shade impatiently if georgie had a fault it was this tendency of his towards the twice-told tale and you made him editor of society spice how is he getting on that's just what i'm coming to i started to break him into the business by making him editor of spice never dreaming that even he could make a mess of that why the position is a sinecure young pilbeam a thoroughly able young fellow really runs the paper all i asked of roderick all i wanted him to do was to show some signs of grip and generally find his feet before going on to something bigger and what happens i would like you said the stricken father just to glance through this week's issue mrs hammond took the paper there was a silence broken only by the rustling of leaves and sir george's deep overwrought breathing lacks vigour announced egeria at length lacks grip said numa pompilius mild tame wants pep needs ginger i made inquiries proceeded numa pompilius bitterly hurling the offending journal into a corner and what do you think young pillbeam tells me that roderick deliberately vetoes and excludes from the paper all the best items he submits that's his idea of earning his salary and being loyal to the firm that employs him mrs hammond clicked her tongue concernedly it seems incredible it's quite true but what possible motive could he have motive a boy like that doesn't have to have motives he's just a plain imbecile i wish to heaven cried this tortured parent that he would get married a wife might make something of him mrs hammond started what an extraordinary thing that you should say that it was the very thing i wanted to speak to you about i suppose you realize george that now you are going to receive this peerage roderick's marriage becomes a matter of vital importance i mean it is even more essential than before that he should marry somebody in a suitable social position let me catch him said sir george grimly trying to marry anybody that isn't well you know there was that girl you told me about the one that worked as a stenographer in the pike's weekly office sacked said sir george briefly shot her out five minutes after i discovered that they were having a flirtation has he been seeing her since wouldn't have the nerve to no that is true deliberate defiance of your wishes would be out of keeping with roderick's character has he shown any signs of being attracted by any other girl any girl in his own class i mean not that i know of george said mrs hammond leaning forward i have been thinking of this for some time why should not roderick marry felicia sir george quivered from head to foot he gazed at his sister with that stunned reverence which comes over men whose darkness has suddenly been lightened by the beacon flash of pure genius this he felt was francie at her best this was the latest and greatest of that stream of epoch-making ideas 
which have begun with the how many pins does the prime minister's hat hold competition it was inspirations such as this that gave the lie to the theory that the female brain is smaller than the male could you work it he quavered huskily work it mrs hammond's eyebrows rose the fraction of an inch i don't understand you well i uh the rebuke to his coarse directness abashed sir george what i mean is uh, felicia's an uncommonly attractive girl and roderick well roderick roddy is not at all unattractive if you do not object to the rather weak type of young man he inherits poor lucy's pretty eyes and hair i can easily imagine any girl admiring him at this statement sir george's mouth opened he shut it again the remark he had intended to make concerning the mental condition of a girl who could admire roderick was suppressed at its source in the circumstances he felt it would be injudicious and of course he's a very good match he will have your money some day and the title i should call him an excellent match then again i know felicia is not in love with anybody else and i have a great deal of influence with her this last sentence removed sir george's lingering doubts translated into less feminine english its meaning was clear he had a complete faith in francie's ability to make any one do anything she wished it was in his opinion asking a lot of a girl to require her to accept as husband a young man who deliberately excluded grip and ginger from the columns of society spice but if francie undertook to put such a transaction through it was all over but cutting the wedding cake if you can persuade roddy to propose said mrs hammond i think i can answer for felicia persuade him <laughs> roderick will do anything i tell him to my goodness francie he exclaimed the thought of that boy safely married to a girl who has been trained by you is well i can't tell you what i think of the idea i only hope felicia's had the sense to pattern herself on you ah there you are roderick a timid knock had sounded on the door while he was speaking and into the room there now came sidling a young man he was a tall young man thin and of an intellectual cast of countenance the eyes and hair to which mrs hammond had alluded those legacies from poor lucy formed the best part of his make-up the eyes were large and brown the hair which swept flowingly over his forehead a deep chestnut the rather large and straggling bow-tie which he wore was also admired in certain circles but not by sir george how do you do aunt frances said roderick his manner was nervous and suggested that of men who visit dentists or small boys who go by request into the studies of headmasters uh, pillbeam says you want to see me father i do said sir george coldly sit down 
mrs hammond rose with her customary tact i think i will be running away she said i have some shopping to do roderick watched her go with something of the emotions of a shipwrecked sailor on a raft who sees a sail vanishing over the horizon he was not particularly fond of his aunt frances but almost any one who made a third at interviews between himself and his father was welcome to him he sat down and fingered his tie uncomfortably don't fidget snapped sir george he glowered at the tie what the deuce do you wear that thing for it makes me sick a more spirited youth might have retorted that a man who habitually appeared in public in a waistcoat of scarlet wool could hardly lay claim to be considered arbiter elegantiarum in the matter of dress roderick unequal to this shattering comeback merely smiled weakly i want to talk to you about society spice said sir george severely dismissing the minor subject of costume he retrieved the copy of the paper from the corner into which his just indignation had caused him to fling it and began to turn its pages with knitted brow roderick eyeing him the while with all the carefree insouciance of a man watching a ticking bomb ha barked sir george suddenly lifting his son and heir a clear two inches off the seat of his chair just as i thought it isn't there what father the fourth instalment of that series on bookmakers swindling methods it has been discontinued why well you see father pillbeam told me it was a great success he said there had been a number of letters about it roderick shuddered he had seen some of those letters the ones which pillbeam a jovial enthusiast had described as the fruitiest of the bunch well you see father he bleated it was so frightfully personal personal sir george's frown seemed to, to darken the room it was meant to be personal society spice is a personal paper good heavens you don't suppose these bookmakers can afford to bring libel actions do you but father all the better if they did it would be an excellent advertisement and no jury would award them more than a farthing's damages roderick shuffled unhappily it isn't so much libel actions what do you mean well father it's like this i happened to be down at kempton park last saturday and i met a man who told me that ike bullet was going about uttering the most awful threats ike bullet who's ike bullet he's one of the bookies the articles have been particularly outspoken about him you know and he was threatening that if i didn't stop them he would put the lads on to me and they would come and butter me over the pavement sensational as this announcement was it seemed to leave sir george completely unimpressed he did not actually snap his fingers but he made an odd contemptuous noise at the back of his throat which amounted to a finger snap having done this he proceeded to speak his mind it was a manly sturdy attitude that he adopted he defied ike bullet and all his kind ike bullet 
he seemed to suggest might put all the lads in the world on to roderick but he couldn't intimidate him sir george he faced with a fine fearless unconcern the prospect of people buttering roderick over the pavement not since the days of lucius junius brutus had there been a father so ruggedly careless of the comfort of his son the series said the proprietor of the mammoth publishing company tersely at the end of a striking passage in which he had voiced some of the resentment he felt at the mean trick which providence had played upon him in making him roderick's father will be resumed at once understand that yes father and if said sir george valiantly this ike bullet of yours doesn't like it he can lump it very well father said roderick hopelessly through his mind there had flashed again a recollection of those letters crude almost illiterate documents they had been written under the stress of strong emotion by rough and uncultured men yet not even walter pater in all the glory of limp purple leather had ever expressed his meaning with a more exact precision he turned to go but the painful interview was not it seemed yet concluded wait said sir george i have something else to say to you roderick poured himself into his chair once more mr sinclair hammond easy-going consort of the egeria of the mammoth publishing company basked in the sunshine in the garden of holly house his residence on wimbledon common there was a notebook on his knee, and he was scribbling industriously with a stubby pencil. Mr. Hammond was fond of his garden. It was, for a suburb, quite an Eden. Several acres in dimension, and shut off from the outer world by high brick walls. It contained almost more than its fair share of trees. And later on, when summer came, it would, he knew, blaze very nobly with many-colored flowers. There were smooth lawns, hedges of lavender and a decent-sized stone pool with goldfish not a bad place at all felt mr hammond as he put down his pencil removed his glasses and leaned back in his deck-chair by no means a bad place for a man of quiet tastes who asks little more from life than to be left alone to do his writing his tranquillity now was largely due to the fact that he was alone it had been quite an hour since any one had bothered him this was almost a record and he had an uneasy feeling that it was too good to last he was on the point of replacing his glasses and resuming his work when he saw that his forebodings had been well grounded a female figure had come out through the french windows of the drawing-room and was making for him across the lawn mr hammond sighed fond though he was of his wife the pike blood in her made her occasionally a companion too restless and uncomfortable for a man who liked to sit and dream francie's life was a series of small wars in which cooks housemaids parlour-maids chauffeurs and tradesmen followed one another in the role of enemy and she was apt to combine in herself the parts of fighter and war correspondent if this was Francie coming now, it probably meant that he was in for half an hour's military gossip. With the cook, if he recollected rightly, an armistice had been concluded yesterday, 
but he seemed to remember hearing something said at breakfast about an ultimatum to the grocer the stringiness of whose bacon had recently been causing alarm and despondency in the hammond household with a little moan he put on his glasses and was relieved to see that it was not his wife who was approaching but his niece felicia this altered the situation entirely he had no objection whatever to abandoning work in favour of a chat with flick they were firm friends and allies moreover flick shared his ability to see humour in the little things of life a valuable gift in woman and one of the few great qualities which his admirable wife lacked he looked at her as she drew near with the same mild wonder which he always felt when he saw her nowadays seven years ago when she had been dumped on him like a parcel on the death of his sister and her husband jack sheridan in a railway accident she had been a leggy scraggy tousled-haired freckled thing with nose and eyelids pink from much weeping a curious object giving as little promise of beauty as a weak old baby and now the sight of her suggested to him given as he was to drawing his images from the classics a hamadryad or some shepherdess strayed out of an idol of theocritus just when the astounding change had taken place it would have been beyond him to say it had come so gradually and imperceptibly first one feature then another ceasing to offend the eye here a leg shortening to a decently human length there a mop of amber hair miraculously tidying itself he supposed vaguely that it was always this way with girls hello uncle sinclair said flick she held out the overcoat which she was carrying get up i will not get up said mr hammond i refuse to get up for any one aunt frances says it's getting chilly and she wants you to put on your light overcoat mr hammond put on the coat he knew that the sleeves would brush against the paper when he resumed his writing thus distracting his thoughts and leading to intemperate language but the alternative throwing the beastly thing into the goldfish pond was impossible if he continued to sit out here as he was after a lapse of two months caught a cold that cold would he was aware be put down to his reckless refusal to take the elementary precaution of wearing the light overcoat you know of course that you are an abominable nuisance child he observed reseating himself flick glanced up she was looking mr hammond thought unusually pensive her mouth was a little drooped and white teeth showed below her lip her blue eyes that always reminded him of a rain-washed sky were clouded this surprised mr hammond for as a rule she took life lightly are you really busy uncle of course not something on the mind flicky flick pulled at the grass thoughtfully uncle sinclair i know you always say you never give advice to anybody but i wish you would give me some oh you're different i'll give you all you want state your case roderick has asked me to marry him what do you think i ought to do mr hammond was appalled ironic he reflected to think that when he had found that it was flick who was coming to disturb his privacy he had been relieved 
but who would have supposed that she intended flinging frightful problems like this at his head he was fifty-three years old and had grown to regard life as a spectacle content to watch it without rushing in and grabbing hold of the steering-wheel he shrank aghast from advising this girl about a thing like marriage besides what business had a child like her to dream of marrying any one and then mr hammett realized that time had not been standing still flick was twenty-one oh what does your aunt think he asked feebly fighting for time she thinks i ought to but i don't know a pang of pity for her innocence shot through mr hammond francie had given her decision and here the poor child was treating the matter as if it still lay open for debate your aunt knows best he said and blushed hotly at the words they sounded to him like something out of one of the novels of his boyhood yes but this is something i've got to think out for myself isn't it mr hammond felt uneasy he liked peace in the home and this speech afflicts seemed to suggest that conditions might conceivably arise to render peace a memory of the past he personally never opposed francie it suited him to have a power outside himself directing his life for him but the younger generation he was aware might look on the matter with different eyes flick's chin was round and soft but it was a strong chin you could not dragoon a girl like flick of course i like roddy said flick meditatively a splendid fellow agreed mr hammond heartily growing more cheerful he knew as a fact little or nothing of roderick for he was a man who avoided the society of his juniors but if francie endorsed him that settled it flick ran her fingers over the short grass he isn't very exciting she said you don't want a jumpy husband surely not a fellow like the chap in the babs ballads who couldn't walk into a room without ejaculating boom which startled ladies greatly is that what you're yearning after i don't think i've got quite the right word i meant oh well this is what i mean though it sounds horribly silly when one says it i suppose every girl is sort of half in love with a kind of fairy prince a sort of ideal you know doesn't it sound idiotic still there it is you know and roderick isn't a fairy prince is he her rain-washed eyes were more cloudy and serious than ever but mr hammond stuck doggedly to light persiflage the conversation seemed to be displaying a perilous tendency to plunge into the depths and he disliked depths ah i know exactly what you mean he said we all have one big romance in our lives which is apt to make everything else seem commonplace and dull a beautiful opalescent dream very pleasant to dig up every now and then and brood over in my case it was the passion i conceived at the age of fourteen for a lady who played in comic opera at terry's theatre heavens how i loved that woman well now tell me your romance from the way you were speaking i'm sure you've had one 
some fatal fascinating boy with a jammy face and a lord fauntleroy suit whom you met at a birthday party eh flick smiled indulgently it isn't quite so long ago as that bob the celium terrier had wandered up flick rolled him over on his back and pulled his ears absently for a moment without speaking i wonder she said if you remember taking me to stay with a mr paradine when we were over in america the time you did the lecture tour you know about five years ago just before you married aunt francie certainly do you suppose i'm as senile as all that i can remember back much further cooley paradine is one of my best friends it was then that it happened oh what happened all the beautiful opalescent dream stuff mr hammond regarded his niece with grave concern don't tell me you are nurturing a secret passion for old cooley a little elderly for you my child besides you aren't interested in old books you wouldn't appeal to him don't be silly it was bill what was bill bill west mr paradine's nephew he's my great love as you would call it mr hammond frowned thoughtfully bill bill i must be getting senile after all this william absolutely eludes my memory oh you must remember bill mr paradine's nephew at harvard bill bill mr hammond's face cleared of course a pimply youth with outstanding ears he wasn't cried flick revolted ears insisted mr hammond firmly which he used to hang his hat on when the rack in the hall was full nothing of the kind he was frightfully handsome and wonderful in every way name one way in which he was wonderful said the sceptical mr hammond well i'll tell you something wonderful that he did he saved my life saved your life mr hammond was interested how did that happen we were bathing in mr paradine's lake and i went out too far as a matter of fact we had finished bathing and i was supposed to be in my hut dressing but i couldn't resist one last swim it very nearly was my last too bill had dressed but he came out just in time and saw me struggling and he dived in with all his clothes on ass ought to have taken off his coat well perhaps he did take off his coat and i wish you wouldn't interrupt and spoil the story he dived in and swam out to where i was kicking and screaming and brought me in safe and sound i should have been done for in another half minute i had swallowed most of the lake and why is this the first i have heard of it we kept it dark bill i suppose was modest at any rate he begged me not to say anything about it and i didn't say anything because i jolly well knew i should be stopped bathing again if i did he left next day to join some friends near boston and i've never seen him since her voice shook a little mr hammond lit his pipe thoughtfully though sympathetic for he understood flick he decided to continue in the light vein i shouldn't worry about him flicky he said a fellow like that is sure to have been snapped up by now concentrate on the sternly practical side of things my dear 
fix your mind on roderick here's a young fellow whom you admit you like good-looking amiable and the heir to a title and more money than you'll be able to spend in half a dozen lifetimes even if you start collecting old books upon my word i think you could do worse you can have a lot of fun in this world with a title and a million pounds you know besides think how jolly it will be marrying into the mammoth publishing company and being able to read all the articles in pike's weekly days before they appear in print flick was silent she was wishing in a vague and formless way that life had not arranged itself quite like this and yet she could not have said exactly what was her objection to the existing state of affairs after all she did like roddy and she had known him a long time not like being asked to marry a stranger and again though everybody was very kind and pleasant and never so much as hinted it to her there was no getting away from the fact that she was a penniless orphan hardly in a position to take nebulous and fanciful objections to the quite attractive sons of millionaires yes i think i'd better marry him she said a chill little wind blew across the garden and she shivered mr hammond was glad now that he had been made to put on the light overcoat francie he reflected was always right End of chapter 1